This is Cross Culture, exploring the intersection of our faith and the culture that we live in. I'm Jesse Dew, and in front of me is Pastor David Hurling. We both hail from a small church in Queens, New York. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, a short theology of gaming. Video games, it's something that is so relevant to our time and also pretty poignant in our lives uh, for both you and me, Pastor David. Just kind of curious, what is a video game that has been impactful to you lately or uh, historically in, in your past? This may not sound like the typical <clears throat> life story of a... Uh, pastor or goodness only knows theologian but actually competitive pokemon it has been a major part of the story of my life mm. and the story of my uh social connections uh many years ago i began i became involved in the uh the competitive pokemon community i became active on one of the premier competitive pokemon sites in the internet google it and you can probably figure out which one i'm talking about and uh i i at one point in time, I was fairly highly ranked. Wow. Definitely not something that I would have expected from from you as a pastor and theologian to, to be that involved. Well, gaming is not a traditional theological topic. I've actually never seen any systematic theologian address it. And yet, it is one of the m most strong and growing subcultures in our, in, uh, our world today. Not even just America, but... It, but across the across international boundaries, people are meeting each other and getting connected within the gaming community. It's developing its own culture. It has its own ideals and its own way of thinking. And many as Christians are struggling to really figure out what the place is of Christians yeah. alongside that. And it really skyrocketed this past year with quarantine, being forced to stay in, can't actually commune and hang out with people in person. So where does that leave you with? It leaves you with kind of being online uh, with the rise of Animal Crossing. That was such a huge phenomenon uh, to go to each other's islands because you couldn't actually go to each other's homes. Yeah. That's exactly right. So why do people enjoy playing games? Uh, are they beneficial to us in any way as a society, as a people? Well, on the largest scale... The reason why people play games is because they teach us how to win in the game of real life. If you watch kittens and the way that kittens play, and let's face it, who doesn't like watching kittens? Mm -hmm. they, they chase around any moving object they'll, they can find. They stalk it. They pounce on it. Sometimes they pounce on each other. They play because it teaches them how to hunt. And similarly, there are we play games because there are certain skills that they that they teach us. There are they help us to uh, learn how to be better at life. I think on another level, they also serve a similar uh, role to alcohol in that they lubricate social interactions between otherwise awkward people. Mm. They provide us a, a shared common interest. 
that we can walk into with, even if we have no other pro, even if we have no other uh, connections with which to interact. Yeah, and I'm sure many of us, especially for those of us that play games, can think of at least a few friends or a friend who we may have just met online through playing games. Uh, friendships that may have never been forged had it not been for the avenue of, of playing games, of b- being that social lubricant. I know that personally for me, I love um, putting on Smash Brothers or Jackbox uh, as a way of just creating something to do amongst people that I may not know that well. And so in a sense, yeah, you're right. It is kind of like alcohol. So then where does it kind of like go awry well, perhaps unsurprisingly, since it serves a similar social role to alcohol, it actually goes awry in many of the same ways alcohol itself does. Mm-hmm. Where, where gaming really starts to become a problem is when people look to, <clears throat> when people look to games to hide and to distance themselves from the very real life that they're that the game is supposed to be helping them to uh, learn when instead of being an opportunity to make friends or to build bond with others over the game it becomes the the sole source of all social interactions and the rest of the person's life begins to atrophy and wither away mm-hmm. that's when that's when gaming becomes the most dangerous when it becomes the sole focus of a person's life yeah but what about games that are not as socially focused and maybe like one player games uh you can't really have a community around say uh an rpg if you're playing that by yourself so then Mm -hmm. at what point are those is that unhealthy or is there a healthy way to enjoy those well at that point you start getting into some of the other roles that games can play in a person's life Mm -hmm. and not to get too I guess biological about it, but the two of the great motivators in all of our decision making are the chemicals dopamine and oxytocin. You may have heard of these before. Uh, dopamine is the winning chemical. It's the chemical that we get when we accomplish something, when we do something that's been really difficult. It's the it's what gives uh, marathon runners the runners high. It's what kind of protects us in times of intense pain. It's the it's the one that says, "Yay, I win." GG, thanks for playing. Mm-hmm. And then there's the there's oxytocin. Oxytocin is the connection chemical. It's the it's the one that makes us get all the warm and fuzzies and feel like we belong to something. We have friends. We have family. Uh, it makes oxytocin is the feeling we get when we cuddle. And where gaming starts to become a problem is when our actual life no longer seems as appealing no longer offers us the same draw in terms of winning or in terms of connection as the game does. The mm. ga- it becomes easier to win at the game than it is to win in real life. Yeah. I've done that in the past, like when I was in high school. Uh, yeah. For instance, I just went all the way through Final Fantasy X, I think, and <laughs> I put like some outrageous number of hours on that game. I think I maxed out the whole stat tree Yeah. for every character. And... Um, <clears throat> frankly those are years of my those, those are hours of my life i'll never have back like it, it it's a weirdly depressing feeling to reach the end of a game and like say what like you enjoy the story but then you say well where do i go from here now 
And for many people, it's on to the next game, isn't it? What? It, yeah. What is? Is there a chemical that talks about like progress, like achievement? Is achievement is usually achievement is usually do, is usually a dopamine, dopamine thing too. It's usually like, man, I did it. Like, yes, I feel. I just finished my studying. I f- I'm, I really feel good. I'm gonna I'm gonna really ace this tomorrow. And then you get that A plus, and you're like, yes, and it's dopamine again. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, although I'm not by any means any means an expert in this area, game game design people talk about this stuff all the time. They talk about they talk about incremental payoffs. And things like that, and uh, yeah, and hitting that. You had talked about dopamine being like victory, and yeah. you know, I've, I've conquered and whatnot. But there's so many games that are just, you know, following a story, almost like you're watching a movie or yeah. you're you're reading a book. It's a different model. It's a different model, but it, it's still kind of that same reaction. Uh, it still kind of substitutes real human achievement in life with something that's done virtually on a screen that's an oxytocin thing yeah it's the uh, yeah. if you say well well why is it that that people in our church who went to the university of buffalo will celebrate if the bills uh if the bills win a playoff game mm-hmm. it's because that they feel that the that they have struggled with the bills and they will also conquer with the bills there's a belonging that goes with being a fan. And you get you have that feeling of oxytocin, win or lose, and you get the really strong spike of dopamine if they win. Mm-hmm. And it's this it's really is the same quest all over again. Mm-hmm. And what it really is, is it's a quest for the kingdom. It's a quest mm-hmm. for the victory of the kingdom of God, of heaven, of this experience of real and powerful um, and eternal, I might say, life. And the, the, the problem with it is that these victories and these achievements are really only fleeting and they last until you achieve the next achievement or play the next game and you move on and you start the cycle of emptiness right. and refilling yourself all over again. Right. Because I'll tell you that during quarantine, when Animal Crossing hit the shelves, I was just desperate to feel like I was progressing somehow in this year where everything else was on pause. And I wanted to, whether it's pulling up weeds or just collecting different fish or whatnot, at least I was progressing in something. Mm. And I couldn't say that for other aspects of my life. And I wish I wish that um, I had a, well... I wish that I could have a better understanding of how I c- was progressing instead of resorting resorting to um, these games to give me that feeling, mm. to, to give me that rush. Yeah. Yeah. And so what then, because obviously in the Bible, they didn't have Nintendo Switch. They didn't have online gaming. Uh, what then could we pull from the Bible that that will directly like relate to what we should be thinking about games and gaming? Well, in fairness, there are other sources from around that a similar time period that talk about things that are like gaming. Uh, for instance, one of my favorite little stories from the 
the post-apostolic era, is the story of a Christian who is uh, talking to another Christian, and he says, you know, my co-workers invited me to come with them to the Colosseum. And of course, the Colosseum is where all of these brutal and horrible spectacles happen, like uh, gladiators fighting each other and slaves being fed to lions and all this stuff. And he says, I agreed that I would go with them just to, just to kind of lubricate the social interaction, but I, I, I swore that I would keep my eyes closed the whole time. And he says, I heard the first roar go up from the crowd, and I peeked just a little bit, and a few minutes later, I was shouting louder than anyone around me. Mm. And, it, and I always thought that was one of the most powerful stories about how um, it's so easy for us to get pulled into the, the sheer, in, sheer enjoyments that we might know are not healthy for us mm. because it just feels so good. Yeah. Um, but when we look at, but one of the strongest uh, verses that speaks to me of the the dangers and also the potential payoffs of gaming is the verse that says that we should do our best to redeem the time because the days that we live in are evil. And the question that we should always be asking when we play any given game is, what is this doing for me as a person? Of course, the same question could be asked for reading books or listening to music or any other uh, form of entertainment that we allow ourselves to take part of. But to ask, what am I gaining for this? How is this impacting my character? Is the, is the shape of the story enough to be making me a better person? Or have I become less of a person in doing this? When I finish, do I feel like I am ready to go out into society and become better? Or do I, or do I have the deflated feeling of someone who has finished and now has no other direction or purpose? Mm. And this is where... And uh, the question of what it means to redeem the time is a very significant one when we talk about evaluating uh, things like gaming. Mm. Are those questions that you have had to deal with as you entered into the competitive Pokemon space? What was that like? Well, my first, my first and most interesting observations in being part of that space is how international it was. I began to talk with the first time with players from Germany from the Netherlands. Uh, many of my, my best friends were from the Netherlands, and they were there. And uh, from various parts of Europe, from various parts of the US, well into the uh, Australian world, not so much East Asia in this, this particular gaming community, but really especially throughout Europe and, and the whole English-speaking world, into, I guess, also uh, Latin America. And the, one of the things that came up was I became exposed to ways of thinking that were distinctly not American, and I became aware of uh, the necessity of talking about Christianity to people who were really and truly post-Christian, who had no Christian vocabulary, who thought in totally secular ways, and thought that Christianity was outdated. Um, I became known quickly as the probably the only pastor on this Pokemon website, and people would actually ask me spiritual questions. Wow. There, was a, there was a real sense of um, purpose in those interactions. Mm. But I will say also that if you want to stay good at a game for any significant period of time, you have to sink a lot of time into it. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I, I'm not remotely as good now as I was in the pinnacle of my competitive career is I've, I have a, a larger church than I had then. I have uh, children now, which I didn't have then. I have a lot more, I have many more time requirements on my life. 
and sinking so much time into being better at fainting six Pokemon before my six Pokemon faint does not seem like a, like a valuable enough goal to me in the light of eternity. And while there were some ministry opportunities, they weren't enough for me to, genu- to uh, genuinely justify the time cost. Mm. But man, that theme song really makes you want to, right? You just want to be the very best. Like no one ever was at Pokemon. It uh, gives me uh, feelings of Philippians 2 right there, right? <laughs> Pressing onwards to the upward call. Yeah, yeah. Dang, that's hard to swallow because I definitely know how many hours I've sunk into, say, Smash Brothers, which I'm very competitive at, or Rocket League, which I've also very much enjoyed. How do we think about these games now? What perspectives do we need to have? What what questions what other questions should we be asking so that it doesn't become like a a wasted hour it doesn't become a wasted energy sink how am how are you a relational person is one of the most fundamental questions we can ask heaven is an eternity of relationship the only thing in the world that will last forever is people we will last forever in heaven or in hell and our relationships are the only things that will follow us into the kingdom so one of the most important questions we can ask in gaming is how is this affecting my relational life? If there are people that I can talk to through gaming that will never meet a Christian any other way, mm. hallelujah, amen, sign me up. But but we have to balance that against the question of whether our gaming life is doing real and substantial harm to our relationships and to the rest of our responsibilities in life, in which case the, the cost is definitely greater than the, than the, uh, than the payoff. Yeah. And I think we'll know, right? Like we'll feel that that tugging, that that dirty feeling of mm. like, I I have sunk way too much time into this game this day. Um, I think the Holy Spirit can can enlighten that if we choose to listen. But sometimes we just we just need to keep. We want to keep going. We want to go another round. We want to I don't know reach that next rank. Ugh. And like all addictions, saying, I can stop at any time when you aren't able to stop is one mm-hmm. of the very clear indicators. Mm-hmm. Are there any positive games, any helpful games that might be edifying for our relationships or anything that, if you can give any examples or types of games, uh, yeah, I'd be curious to know. Well, as I was growing up, video games were always very much a part of the culture of my family. The The first and most interesting Christmas present I ever remember was a Super Nintendo, and which dates me a little bit. But, and some of the most enjoyable moments I remember with my family were playing Mar- the Mario Party games together. Mm. They were, they were a, a way of bonding for my family. They were a way that we could do something together, in, during, especially during the cold New York winter months when you can't really go outside and do a whole lot together. Otherwise, they were a time that we could celebrate together when someone succeeded or laugh together when someone failed spectacularly. They, they created family bonding. And it was one of the, it's one of the fondest and warmest memories of my childhood. Similarly, uh, during, my, during those same sort of years, uh, Goldeneye rose to become one of the, the, 
uh, the, the the origins <laughs> of the uh, the party game. What we would think of as I'm going to invite my my friends over to play with me, and because in those days you couldn't play with strangers over the internet, it it brought us into a level of human interaction. And it, it allowed people to bond together in ways that were fairly natural, considering that what we were talking about something that was not uh, natural by the, the common way of talking about that. Mm-hmm. So I feel that games are, that are collaborative, games that are multiplayer, games that encourage people to talk to other people, whether we're talking about uh, the classic party games or whether we're talking about uh, even games like Dungeons & Dragons, which ha- involve group storytelling and uh, problem solving together with a team of people. These are things that promote the relationalness, which is key to what makes us human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I keep, tr- I keep bringing back to the one game that I have played most significantly, which is Smash. But mm-hmm. there, are, there were times when I did not care for the person who I was playing against, and I just wanted to destroy them. But then there were also moments where, say, if I were to invite a friend over and we were around the same skill level and we would try to play against each other, hours would go by and I felt like I was just delving into their character, who they, who they were as a person by the way that we played against each other. And it eventually led to really deep discussions, not about Smash, but about each other. Mm. I think the, there, was a, there was a foundation that was laid that was like, we actually want to get to know each other more because we got to know each other more through this game. And that was a really impactful experience for me. But I will admit that not every encounter with a person is like that when I play that game. And so it's, it's helpful to know that, yeah, anything that increases our, uh, our relational capacity to love one another, to, to get to know one another, uh, that's important to look out for in a game. Yes. Cool. Well, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Cross Culture. Uh, That's Pastor David, and I'm Jesse Dew. We'll see you next time.